Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the serialized audiobook Nocturnal by number one New York Times best-selling author Scott Sigler, performed by Phil Giganti. This novel contains adult situations, violence, and is meant for mature audiences. Nocturnal is available in print, ebook, and unabridged ad-free audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash nocturnal. Chapter 23, Aggie's Price Aggie James was alone in the white dungeon. If he'd been a religious man, he would have prayed, but he knew there was no God. God wouldn't have let his wife and daughter be murdered right in front of him. God wouldn't have allowed these monsters to exist. And if God did exist and allowed these things to happen, Aggie sure as fuck wasn't going to worship him. So while he didn't pray, he most certainly hoped that he could get out of this horrible place. The white jail cell door slowly screeched open. Hillary entered, alone, carrying a heavy knit bag and a familiar-looking, familiar-smelling blanket. But there was a new scent, faint, just a tiny sensation in his nose. It smelled beautiful. Hillary walked up to him. She held the bag out by its handles, offering it to him. Are you ready to help me? If you let me out of here, hell yes. Aggie took the knit bag and opened it. Inside, a baby? A sleeping baby boy with deep black skin, far blacker than Aggie's, the skin of a child from lower Africa. He was swaddled in a blanket marked with crudely drawn symbols. One symbol looked like a triangle with an eye in the middle. Another seemed to be a circle with a jagged lightning bolt through it. You take this boy, Hillary said. I thought the king would make things right, but he is going to do dangerous things. And firstborn, I think he will try to kill the king. If he succeeds, then he will come for me. I have to act while I still can. Get one more baby out. She stopped talking. She just stared at the child, as if she forgot that Aggie was even there. Uh, Hillary. Her eyes snapped up. She blinked, seemed to come back to the moment. I am going to hide you and the baby somewhere. Somewhere upon the surface? No, she said. A special hiding place. You will stay there with the boy until I come to take you above. Aggie nodded violently, even though he didn't really understand. Yes, I'll do whatever you ask. She smiled a smile of power. Of course you will. She unfolded the smelly blanket and draped it around Aggie. You wear this and be quiet, just like you did yesterday. He nodded. He really had no idea if he'd last seen her yesterday, the day before, or just a few hours ago. 
She finished adjusting the blanket, tugging and twisting in her motherly way. Good, she said. Now hold him close, very close. Aggie pulled the baby-filled bag to his chest. Whatever this kid was, it was evil. Aggie would play along, say whatever he had to say, do whatever he had to do until he got out of here. Then he could toss the baby into the bay for all he cared about it. He smelled that beautiful smell again. It was the baby. The smell came from the baby. Time to leave, Hillary said. Follow me. Where are we going? You know the place, she said. We are going back to the arena. Chapter 24 Origin Story Brian drove Pookie's Buick, following the Jessup's jet-black, highly modified Dodge Magnum station wagon. Passing streetlights cast sliding reflections off the Magnum's polished body. Brian had never really thought a station wagon could be sweet. The customized Magnum, however, would make any gangsta wannabe green with envy. It rode on black chrome rims. Tinted windows hid the inside from view. Pull-out drawers packed the cargo area, hidden from view by the rear hatch. Brian could only imagine what kind of arsenal the grandfather-slash-grandson team had stashed away in the back of that car. Adam, oddly, drove like an old lady, slow, obeying every traffic light and sign, giving people plenty of room to pass him if need be. Brian didn't know much about cars, but even following behind he could hear the Magnum's engine gurgling with unused power. The Magnum turned south on five-lane Potrero Avenue. Two-story houses and small trees passed by on Brian's right, just a few blocks now. He had time for one quick call. He dialed. She answered immediately. Hello? How could the sound of her voice make him feel better? Hey. Brian, are you okay? Sure. Didn't you get my note? She paused. I did. Thank you for that. But a nice note and a pot of coffee aren't a replacement for knowing that you're okay. I'm okay. He wasn't sure if that was the truth, but it was what she needed to hear. I just wanted to check in. She didn't say anything. He waited. Up ahead, he saw SFGH coming up on the left. Robin, I gotta go. Erickson might be in trouble tonight. Forget him, she said. Come get me and we'll just go. What are you talking about? All this death, she said. You and I could just leave, Brian. We get in my car, we pick a direction, and we go. Together. She was afraid for him. Or maybe she was afraid of what he might do. The sentiment broke his heart, but her solution wasn't an option. Robin, I can't. She sighed. I know. I hope we don't regret it. Her tone of voice changed again, from melancholy to businesslike. Listen, I've been trying to figure out what happened to you. When you were a kid, you had the usual cuts and scrapes, right? Sure, he said. And this rapid healing thing, that's new? Yeah. I always seem to heal a little faster than most people, but nothing like it is now. It's because your Z chromosome was suppressed, she said. That means you had all the genetic information, but it was dormant. 
Your body wasn't doing anything with it. Basically, your Zed information was switched off. That didn't seem possible. How could you have parts of your body that were shut off? Still, he wasn't about to argue with an expert. So what switched it on? When you came to see me in the morgue, you were sick, right? Really sick, as in body aches, chest pains, all of that? How awful he had felt. The fever, the hammering aches, the joint pain. Yeah, it was bad. We need to take x-rays. I bet they'll show the same strange organ we found in Blackbeard. I also bet we find your bones have changed, or at least are starting to change. The sickness was because your body underwent a massive physical transformation. The question is, when did you start to get sick? So much had happened in the past few days. It seemed like an eternity since he hadn't been dealing with Erickson, Rex Depravdachuk, the Boyko kids, Father Paul. That was it. The roof, where he smelled something that made him dizzy. I started getting sick the same day I saw Paul Maloney's body. Did Maloney's body smell like urine? He nodded. It did. Urine and something else I couldn't identify. I started feeling crappy soon after that. Brian, I know what happened to you. Well, the general idea, anyway. We're sure Paul Maloney's death was a symbol killing, like Oscar Woody's. We know Woody's killers had the Z chromosome, so it's logical to assume Maloney's did as well. I'm pretty sure there are hormones in the urine that activated your Z chromosomes, made them start expressing. You had all this dormant code inside you, waiting for a signal. When that signal came, boom, your body was off to the races. That was one for the comic books. He had super healing, and apparently some level of super strength. And what was his origin story? I sniffed pee. Not exactly as cool as being bitten by a radioactive spider. But why would my Zed be dormant? I have no idea, Robin said. Based on everything else we've seen, it's got to be some kind of species protection strategy. If one of your kind is... My kind? I'm not one of them. Scientifically speaking, you are. Don't be a sensitive Sally, anyway. Maybe tens of thousands of years ago. No, hundreds of thousands. But that creates a whole primate family tree issue that... Robin, I'm almost at the hospital. He saw the SFGH complex coming up on the left. Can you get to the point? Sorry. My guess is that way back when, if one of your kind was isolated and their genes did express, maybe normal people killed them. So maybe suppressed genes contribute to survival. Maybe the genes evolved to only express if others of your kind are around. A safety in numbers kind of thing. Nature triggers suppressed genes all the time with hormones and other signaling mechanisms. You started out suppressed, normal. Until your body detected others like you, then your latent genes activated. He didn't understand a quarter of what she was saying. Not that any of it mattered right now. I gotta go, he said. Have you called Pookie? Shit. He'd forgotten about his partner, and the fact that he'd had Pookie's car for going on 24 hours now. No, I haven't. Can you call him and tell him he can pick up the Buick at the hospital? She paused. Brian, he was looking for you all day yesterday. He called me this morning. He's pretty pissed you didn't let him know you were alive. As well he should be. But Brian had too much to deal with at the moment. 
He really couldn't handle Pookie's disappointment on top of everything else. Look, Robin, just call him for me, okay? Okay, she said. I love you, Brian. I love you, too. Those words were surprisingly easier to say the second time around. He hung up. San Francisco General Hospital had many buildings, but the northernmost one housed the mental health wing, where Erickson was being kept. A head-high brick wall lined the sidewalk, with a ten-foot-high red fence rising from the top of it. Brian wasn't sure if the fence was to keep people in or out. Adam slowed, then did a fast U-turn to slide into an open parallel parking spot just before 20th. Brian struggled to turn the Buick as sharply and realized that not only was the Buick a crappy car, Adam was a far better driver. Brian parked right behind the Magnum. The Magnum's rear passenger door opened. Alder leaned on his cane as he slowly got out. Brian got out to meet him. Wait here, Inspector, Alder said. I'll find Chief Zhao and straighten this out. Are you good friends with her? Maybe Alder could help patch things up, get Pookie's job back. I haven't seen her in twenty-eight years, Alder said. And we're far from friends. Adam, let's go. Alder's cane clicked against the sidewalk as he and Adam walked toward the opening in the wall that led into the hospital complex. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Chapter 25 In the Maze The electric lights were off. Atop the mast of skulls, a few torches burned, casting out a weak light that failed to penetrate the area's trenches. There was no noise except for the crunch of dirt under their feet and a faint, regular, echoing rumble that came from the shipwreck behind him and to his left. Trench walls rose up on either side. Aggie couldn't see the cavern's ceiling high above. It was too dark for that. He kept moving, tried not to think about the fact that he was walking through the maze, the same place the teenage boy had been killed, then butchered for food. This way, Hillary said as she turned right. Aggie followed. That strange, echoing noise picked up in intensity, and Aggie realized what it was. Mommy was snoring. Hillary had led him from the White Dungeon, taking a different path than she'd used before. This time, instead of coming out on the ledge, he found himself sliding through a narrow, hidden passage and into the arena maze. Aggie hadn't known what to expect, 
He certainly hadn't expected the place to be empty, nor would he have dreamed that a place of monsters and death and terror could be even more disturbing when it was empty and mostly dark. A tug on his arm. Hillary gestured all around, showing off like a proud homeowner. Tonight, everyone will be here to watch the king join with Mommy and give our kind a future. That is when I will take you out. Until then, I have a place for you to wait. Come. She turned left. Aggie found himself at the cavern's wall, a dead end. Hillary slid past a tall boulder and into a hidden space. She vanished from sight. Aggie gently adjusted his grip on the knit bag, then followed. Chapter 26 A Blast from Amy's Past It was like walking into a time warp. Amy hadn't seen this man in decades. He had the same eyes, the same mouth, and the same face, although wrinkles had blurred and softened his features. But all the time in the world couldn't fade the memory of their last meeting. Alder Jessup, she said. He smiled and nodded. Amy Zhao, it's been a long time. She looked at the man just behind Alder. Again, that time warp sensation. The man looked like the Alder she remembered from so long ago, if that Alder had been a metal hipster douchebag. Hey, cop, the younger man said. Gestapo's teardowns might work on trust fund kitties, but I'm past that level. Alder closed his eyes and sighed. Ah, Chief Amy Zhao, this is my grandson, Adam. Adam was just going to get himself a cup of coffee. Adam smiled and nodded. Nice meeting you, Chief. If I stumble upon a rampaging herd of wild donuts, I'll break out the spear gun and bring you breakfast. The angry young man walked off, his chains and jewelry rattling with each step. My apologies. Alder said. All I can say is that his talent is well worth the trouble. Mr. Jessup, why are you here? I came to watch over Jebediah. I assume you're here to do the same. If you are, perhaps you should come out to my automobile. Adam has brought several items that could be of use to you should Marie's children attack. Those words nearly made Amy flinch. She looked up and down the hall. No one was paying attention. She leaned in. Alder, we have this covered. I have people on duty to protect him. I just came from Erickson's room. He's not awake yet, but he's getting better. Alder sighed in that way old men can sigh and make you feel like a child no matter what age you are. <sighs> All this time, my dear, and you still don't truly understand. She thought back to the nightmare she'd seen in Erickson's basement. Alder was right. She hadn't truly understood what was out there, how many were out there. He patted her on the shoulder. I'm not just here to protect Jebediah, he said. I would like to have a word with you about a police officer of yours. I think we need to discuss one Brian Clouser. Chapter 27 Zhao talks to Brian. Brian stood on the sidewalk of Potrero Avenue, watching Pookie stare at the Buick's driver's side window. Streetlight gleamed against the cracks in the glass, 
lit up the tentacle-like sprawl of beer tendrils that had dried in place. Awesome, Pookie said. You know, sometimes when people borrow my car, they get it washed and leave me with a full tank of gas. But this, this is so much better. I said I was sorry. I'll pay for it. With what? Food stamps? We're fired, remember? Brian rubbed his eyes and shook his head. Really, man? I think we've got more important things to worry about than the window of your P.O.S. Buick. Pookie shrugged. Yeah, we do. Like the 200 bucks you owe me for my trip to Oakland. You thought I was in Oakland? Did I mention I looked everywhere? Why, yes. Yes, I think I did mention that. But $200? I took a cab, Pookie said. You know how I hate public transportation. Kind of the reason I bought a car. Know what I'm saying? Pookie didn't get pissed that often. But when he did, he didn't stop talking about it. He wanted and deserved an apology. Look, I'm sorry I didn't call you, okay? Pookie nodded. Apology accepted. But too bad you're not talking to your dad. I'd have him ground you for trashing my ride. Pookie Chang, lone resident of No Subject is Off Limits land. That man is not my father. And I'm not chubby, Pookie said. Amazing how we can just wish things into existence. With what I'm going through, are you really going to go there? Now? Pookie shrugged. You need to get over it. I think you filled your quota for feeling sorry for yourself. Feeling sorry for myself? You jackass! I'm a goddamn mutant or whatever! Pookie used his jacket sleeve to wipe at the dried beer tentacles. So you got an extra chromosome. It's not like you got cancer, bro. It is what it is, so accept it and let's move on. Maybe Brian should have done this solo after all. Only Pookie could reduce being a mutant, finding out your entire childhood had been a lie, and tracking down serial killers that were actually your half-brothers to just get over it. Pookie stopped wiping at the cracked window. He turned to stare at Brian. You thinking you should ditch me? For my safety, maybe? Brian looked down at the sidewalk. He hated it when his partner did that. Pookie feathered back his hair. Forget it, my young rebel detective. No one wants to show about a loner cop. I told you, I'm down for the gunfight. You're stuck with me. Agreed. Brian looked up. Before he could answer, Pookie pointed down the sidewalk. Uh-oh, he said. You come to judge. Brian followed Pookie's gaze and saw Amy Zhao walking quickly toward them, dress blues pressed, hat positioned perfectly on her head. She doesn't seem happy, Pookie said. Does she ever? No, he said. Shall we make a run for it? Too late, and I've got a few things I want to hear from her. Brian crossed his arms, leaned against the black station wagon, and tried to look disrespectful. He wasn't sure how to do that. Maybe he'd have to get some lessons from Adam. She stopped in front of them. Clouser, she said. Chang? Chief, Brian said. Milfy woman who fired my ass, Pookie said. Zhao ignored the comment. Clouser, we need to talk, alone. Brian looked at Pookie. Pookie shook his head slightly. Even if Brian wanted the man gone, he wouldn't go anywhere. Pookie stays, Chief, 
Brian said. Anything you want to say to me, you can say in front of my partner. Life partner, Pookie said, but only for tax purposes. Oh, and the Bed Bath & Beyond registry. Zhao turned her humorless stare on Pookie. She held it until he looked away. She turned back to Brian. Alder told me that you're one of them. She said it with such a matter-of-fact tone. Zhao was right, and so was Robin. He was one of them. I don't understand any of it, Chief. I have no idea what's happening, and it's freaking me out. But you came to the hospital, she said. Why? Brian looked at Pookie, who just shrugged. Brian nodded to the building beyond the brick wall. We put Erickson in there. Alder said Marie's children might come for him, so we're here to protect him if we can. I have a full SWAT in and on that building, she said. They have Erickson's floor on lockdown. Marie's children are hard to find, sure, but it's a different battle if they have to come to us. She stared at him. Brian stared back. She seemed to be sizing him up. He wasn't in the mood for whatever power game she wanted to play. Look, he said, we were just trying to do the right thing. The hardness around her eyes faded. Now she was the one to turn away. I know that feeling. This time maybe we'll fix the damage you caused before the really bad shit starts. She met his eyes again. At least now you guys understand what has to be done. Yes and no, Pookie said. You can't keep this a secret forever. People need to know what's going on. The victims' families deserve to know what happened to their loved ones. Their loved ones died, Zhao said. Knowing what killed them won't bring them back. What do you want, Chang? Do you want to tell the world that San Francisco has a killer cult? Or that it has real live monsters? Both, Pookie said. People need to know that there's something out there that can kill them. No, they don't need to know. When a killer shows up, Erickson puts it down. Pookie threw up his hands. Are you insane? If you don't make this public, more people could die. People die every day, Zhao said. That's life in the big city. We're talking two, maybe three murders a year on average. On average? Those are human beings. In San Francisco proper, 800 people a year get hit by cars, she said. 20 of those accidents end in death, give or take. And then you have life-changing injuries. But do we take out the roads and make everyone walk because traffic is dangerous? That's ridiculous, Pookie said. You can't compare shit like that. Really? Well, can I compare apples to apples? Or should I say murders to murders? We had 50 murders in San Francisco last year. 45 the year before that, and 94 three years ago. Most of those killings were gang-related. So we know gangs kill far more people than Marie's children, yet we don't get rid of the gangs. Her logic was faulty, fractured. Brian couldn't understand her reasoning. Chief, we're talking about serial killers. Monsters. We're talking about the public's right to know. The public knows about traffic deaths, and people stay. Fine. Same for the gang activity. Fine with that, too. They don't know about Marie's children. She shook her head as if Brian and Pookie just couldn't understand the obvious. Sure, we tell the public, she said, and that makes property values plummet. Property values? Why would she say that? 
What did a cop care about property values? What wasn't she telling them? Brian heard Chief Zhao's cell phone buzz. She pulled it out of her pocket and read. She looked up at Brian. I've got to take care of something. Don't go anywhere. We'll talk about this later. Pookie raised his hand like a school kid in class. Ah, Chief, does this mean we have our jobs back? Maybe with a couple of accoutrements known as a badge and a gun? She looked at Pookie, but this time without her trademark cold stare. Then she looked at Brian. She sighed and shook her head as if she'd already made a decision she knew she'd regret. She looked up at the darkening sky. I'll get you back on the rolls tomorrow, she said. For now, I'll let the watch sergeant know you can enter the hospital. And move your cars into the parking lot. We've got space allotted for police vehicles. You don't have to sit out on the street all night. She turned and walked away, the phone clutched tightly in her right hand. Brian let out a sigh of relief. He had his job back, but more important, so did the friend who seemed willing to stand by his side no matter what. And Chief Zhao, that ridiculous logic of hers, property values. He talked to her about that later. For the moment, however, he was a cop again, and his primary duty was to protect Jebediah Erickson from any harm. You have been listening to Nocturnal by Scott Sigler, performed by Phil Giganti, produced by Empty Set Entertainment. The Nocturnal Audiobook was directed and engineered by Corey Young. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.